Get on the ground now. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Just 18 minutes before those four shots rang out through the streets of Nuanu, Hawaii on the 14th of April, 2021, KwaZulu-Natal rugby player Lindani Mieni had been on the phone with his wife, Lindsay Mieni. I just called him and he said, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm back at the home where he's me with kids. He's like, okay, I'm coming now. But Lindsay and her two young children would never hear from Lindani again. Lindani was shot four times by officers of Hawaii's Honolulu Police Force while they were responding to an alleged burglary-in-progress call. He was outside and unarmed at the time of the shooting. Police shootings have been a hot-button issue in the United States for many years, and research done by the renowned American news agency The Washington Post and by business data platform Statista indicate that the trend of fatal police shootings in the United States is only increasing. With a total of 292 civilians having been shot, 62 of whom were black, in the first four months of 2021. In 2020, there were a total of 1,021 fatal police shootings. Additionally, the rate of fatal police shootings among black Americans is much higher than that of any other ethnicity. Standing at 36 fatal shootings per million of the population as of April 2021. But there is little outrage for Mayeni or for his widow and two young children. Unlike the streams of international news feeds that were simply overflowing with reports following the death of African Americans like Dante Wright or George Floyd, the international community has not been as vocal for a probe into Lindani's death. But there still remain several unanswered questions around the night he died. Why was he at the house in the first place? Why had he removed his shoes to enter the home? Why, if he was a burglar, did he stop to converse with the home's occupants, telling them his name and nationality? Why have all available unedited CCTV, police body cam footages and Lindani's personal belongings not been released? And likely most importantly, why does it appear that the officers at the scene did not indicate that they were actually police? until after Lindani had been shot. For Lindani's widow, now a single mother of two, none of this makes sense. And the only way she will receive answers is if South Africans don't allow Lindani's killing to fade away into obscurity. For today's boots on the ground behind South Africa's biggest headlines, we're going to bring Lindani Mieni's life story into the spotlight. We will relive his final day and we will consider the available information from the shooting. We'll glance into his character as a new family man, a hopeful immigrant, 
a skilled rugby player and a spiritual Amazulu man. You are listening to Boots on the Ground behind South Africa's national headlines and I am your host, Paige Muller. A gentle smile touches the lips of Lindsay Mieni as she recounts the events of April 14th. It was a day spent frolicking in the sea, soaking up Hawaii's magnificent sunlight with her loved ones. A real family day. You guys had a family day? You guys did something as a family on the day? Yeah. I said, let us celebrate and just celebrate life and the green cards around the corner next week and... Let's just have a fun day. Is that okay? <laughs> I said, like, can you, I've always been asking him, Kevin, can, can you just let me show you around Hawaii? You know, he's so used to kind of guiding things, leading things, and, and showing us where cool places are. And he never lets me do it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, finally he's letting me show him places. They explored the island and spent the whole day doing so. They were celebrating, you see, because they'd been working really hard to achieve a dual U.S. SA citizenship and Lindani was just a week away from finally getting his green card. They had had hoped to give their children options. Two real homes and a plethora of opportunities. Lindsay is an American citizen born and raised in Hawaii and Lindani grew up in rural KZN here in South Africa. They wanted their children to experience both of their cultures and people. I feel like if you're watching a movie of Lindani's life, this is like the climax, the pinnacle. Why would you merge someone with the pinnacle of their life? Like literally, you know, you have a wife and kids and you're just about to finally get to work and make your American dream come true. He didn't even care about all that nonsense of, of uh, this is the land of whatever. He just wanted to provide for us and, and, and be able to provide for people back home. So we finally were about to get that, and so we waited over a year for If you can imagine being a stay-at-home dad as your wife is pregnant and, and now gives birth, now you're a family of four, and you just dying to provide for her, just waiting for to cannot wait to provide for her, and, and, and they tell you you can't work yet, you know? It's such a mess, kind of messed the process that you have to wait so long. Anyway, um... So that was all just coming to an end the next week. So much to be excited for, so much to look forward to. As soon as we get that paper, we could go back to South Africa and he could see his family. For It's been a year and a half without his family. That's all he wanted to do was see his grandma who wasn't well at the time and, uh, and just see everybody. And just he had so many good plans of what to do to, to help people back home too and how he could add to their well-being. And, and but Lindsay's world came crashing down that night. They got home after touring at around 7 p.m. and the family was tired. But Lindani had been uneasy all day. He hadn't eaten much and Lindsay was concerned. And then I I quickly made him, yeah, some food. And I'm like, you know, you hardly eat today. Just just sit down. Let's just eat. And let's ju- just don't go anywhere. Just stay. And and he said, no, I need I need to clean my I need to. And you can never tell Lindani what to do. He always says you know, good ideas, and he makes a way forward with them. Um, so, so don't go yet, and, and or don't go. You just just sit and eat, and I just put the plate on the table, and so no, I got to. I'll just I'll just eat one from back, and, and and he just he just gave me a kiss in the kitchen. I'll, I'll never forget that kiss either because that's the last time I kissed him. And 
And he only always kissed me goodbye because it's in my culture that you do that. In their culture, I was like, I'll see you later. So I'm always like, no, kiss me, say you love me, bye. That was our thing over years. We're always like, say goodbye because you never know the last time you're going to see someone. And that day he did kiss me goodbye. So I was so happy. He said, I love you. And, and then he drove off and, and um, I got the kids ready for bed. And, and that was, and, as far as Lindsay knows, Lindani took a drive to clear his mind. Half an hour later, she called him. I just called him and said, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm back at the home where you left me with kids. He's like, okay, I'm coming now. But I can hear him. He just opened his car door and maybe parked somewhere. I can hear him just open the car door and the wind is blowing. So it's, it, it sounds like he, when he said, I'm coming now, it sounds like he was distracted, like he was looking at something. So I, in my head, I wonder, was he actually parked outside of that house? And this is when it all started. He was going to be home soon. That's what he had said. Soon. But he never came home. This is where things get a little fuzzy. There is an 18-minute gap between Lindani's call with Lindsay and his eventual death. But the details of those 18 minutes are not clear. Lindani had pulled up to a six-bedroom house in Nuanu, Honolulu, valued at around $3.5 million. Since 2019, there had been several complaints about the house operating as an Airbnb and a short-term rental, which is illegal in the area. But no incidents of violence had ever been reported at the property. Lindani seems to have gone up to the property, which had had several cars parked outside. He took off his shoes and entered the building. Lindsay speculates, and mind you this is just speculation, that Lindani had wanted to see a nearby temple, some place spiritual to help him clear his mind, and had arrived at the wrong address. The temple next door, if you Google the address, it takes you to that Airbnb next door. So if he had typed in church or temple or any place to pray, it's going to take you to that illegal Airbnb. So I, I can only speculate what happened that why he didn't why he stopped there on his way home despite why he had arrived at this particular location his presence at the property panicked one of the occupants who had not been named by authorities that occupant then called emergency services here's the first couple of minutes of that 911 call that the occupant had made the full recording is 10 minutes and we can't play it all but we really recommend that you listen to the full call for context Police emergency. Hello, what's your address? Hello. What's your address? Please, please, please. What's your address? It's Mikey Wankalama Way. What's your name? Someone entered my house. Do you know who they are? He says he's Lyndon. He says South Africa. Do you know who he is personally? Do you know this man? I don't know him. Okay. I don't know this man. What's he wearing? He, he's in the house. What is he wearing? What color is his clothes? It's a black, black t-shirt. What is he? Asian? White? Black? Hello. What? What kind of ethnicity is he? But Officers are on the way. Can you tell me what he looks like? 
I, I don't know whether he knows our owner or not, but he just like randomly coming and say some strange words. Okay, so what is is he white? Is he black? Is he local? I don't know him. I understand you don't know him. I'm asking you what he looks like. So if he runs away, officers can find him. Okay. So what does he look like? Is he white? Is he black? Is he Asian? He's he's black. Okay. Officers are on the way. I just need you to answer some questions. Okay. So he has on a white shirt. Is that right? No, he's in black shirt. Okay. What is he wearing on the bottom? Jeans, shorts. He's wearing a jeans. And yes, and he's wandering in the house. Okay. Does he have any weapons in his hands, like guns, knife, bat, sticks? No, he says some salvers. I don't know what he means. Okay. Officers are officers are on the way there. Just stay on the phone for a minute, okay? Okay. Is he yelling at is he yelling at you guys? Does he seem no. confused? About how old is he? How old? Thirty? Thirty? Okay. Okay. Officers are on the way. Officers are on the way. They're on the way there. Okay. They're going to be there shortly, okay? Can you go outside and meet the officers? Ma'am, can you go outside and meet the officers, please? I don't know. It's okay. Can you go outside and look for the policeman? He tried to. He tried to. Go outside. I don't know. Okay, so he's outside now. No, he's he's inside, but he's close to the front door. Okay, so you can't get outside. Okay, I understand. Officers are coming. Okay. They're gonna be there soon. <laughs> he's outside. He's outside. Okay. I think he's falling out where we. She's, he's following you, you think? Yeah, he's driving a car when we come to the neighborhood. Okay, so what kind of car does he have? I, I, I'm so sorry to go outside to check. It's okay. You don't have you don't have to go outside if you don't feel safe doing it. Do you remember what kind of car he had? <laughs> Do you remember what kind of car? Car he's here. He's he's still he's still in the community. I think the police officer can stop him. Okay, officers are. Okay. They're on the way. Do you remember what the car looks like? I saw another people. Okay, what car? That's him. What? That's him. He's In the background, towards the beginning of the call, you can hear Lindani is talking to someone. 
You also hear the caller herself asking him to leave. He seems to be having a relatively civil discussion with the occupants in the background. He has also provided them with his name and nationality, an odd thing to do if you're really looking to rob or hurt any of the occupants in the residence. The caller also makes it clear to the dispatcher that he is unarmed and she indicates when he has left the building. What is strange though is that the caller seems to get more upset once Landani is outside. We cut the call just as the caller was beginning to get hysterical, but also as the police arrived to confront Landani, who was, as we understand it now, outside of the house and about to climb into his car. The next recording we have for you is from the body cam footage of both of the officers. We've combined the footage so that you can get a feel of what it was like on that night. And then five night, you're gonna see Well he went. Well he went. Well he went. Where? Well, he's get on the ground now. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Hey, 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 Now we've counted. There were exactly 24 seconds between the first call to get on the ground and the very first shot. 24 seconds. In that time, that short 24 seconds, Lindani appears to be repeatedly asking, who are you? He gets into a scuffle with the then unidentified police officers. He's tasered and eventually he's shot. Once the gunfire eventually dies down, you hear the eerie call of Police! Meanwhile, Lindsay's wondering why her husband hasn't come home yet. I didn't find out about his death till, I didn't find about anything that was wrong till the next morning. I just was worried and just praying like, God, where is he? He just, then after that, he didn't answer my phone calls. I sent him a picture. I made him a nicer dinner after that. Like not a quick one, but like a nicer. <laughs> I made chicken and everything. And, 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 and I texted him a picture. My last text is a picture. Hey, where are you, babe? Like, are you on your, wait, where are you? Are you okay? Just tell me you're okay. And, and the phone just ring, ring, ring. And so, I didn't find anything else the next morning, but I felt God say that night, just go to bed. Just go to bed. Just get some rest. Just go to bed. Just go to bed. Don't stay up worrying. Just go to bed. And you know, I went to bed, and usually with Nandi, she was only five months, and so I, I wake up every, you know, every twi twice a night just to breastfeed her. But she didn't wake up the whole night, and, and I didn't wake up the whole night, which has never happened since she was born. But for some reason, we slept the whole night. And I just looked at her in the morning and I was like, wow, you look just like your daddy. 
and then I said that to her and I took a little video of her and I had no clue that anything was really wrong. I mean, I thought maybe, I don't know what happened, but he, surely he'll just be right back. You know, he knows his way, he'll be okay. But the Honolulu Police Department holds firm that their officers responded responsibly and rationally to a very dangerous situation. Honolulu Police Department Chief Susan Ballard gave this press briefing the very next day. So at approximately 10.10 p.m. yesterday, officers were sent to a burglary in progress at a Coelho Way residence. When Officer 1 arrived, the 911 caller identified a male sitting in a vehicle as a person who had been in her home. The suspect then got out of the car and began to walk towards Officer 2, who arrived on scene. Officer 1 ordered the suspect to stop and get on the ground. The suspect then turned and charged at Officer 1, punching him several times. Officer 2 tried to get the suspect off of Officer 1. Officer 3 then arrived on scene, deployed his taser, but it was ineffective. The suspect then charged at Officer 3 and punched him before running and charging at Officer 1 again. Officer 1 then fired a single round, but the suspect continued and tackled Officer 1, straddling him, and began punching Officer 1 again. Officer 2 then fired three rounds at the suspect, and the suspect then fell to the ground. This all happened in less than one minute from Officer 1's arrival. Officers administered first aid at the scene, and the suspect was treated and transported to the hospital in critical condition. He died of his injuries at the hospital. The three responding officers were taken to the hospital for multiple injuries. The first officer to arrive has multiple facial fractures, a concussion, and injuries to his arms and legs. He remains hospitalized. He has 23 years of service. The second officer suffered multiple injuries to the body, arms, and legs. The third officer had a concussion in addition to multiple abrasions to the body, arm, and legs. They required medical treatment and have since been released. They have 18 and 10 years of service. At this time, the suspect's identification is pending with the medical examiner's office. We believe that he's about 29 years old and he does not appear to have a criminal record. And the three officers were wearing body cameras and the footage is going to be reviewed to see what can be released. Five days later, Honolulu's acting deputy chief, Alan Nagata, gave this briefing. The investigation into this incident is continuing. Once completed, it will be reviewed by the prosecutor's office and the state law enforcement review board. I'm available for a few questions. How did you determine which portions of the footage would be released? We just use the portions that are relevant, the actual assault. Was it appropriate that police did not identify themselves as police? You know what, I think you might be right, they didn't identify themselves, but hey, let's be honest. They're in uniform, right? They're coming there with the police cars. And they told him, get on the ground. Comply. So the officers who initially responded um, to that burglary call, do they have their lights or sirens on? I can't comment on that. That That's part of the investigation. 
but they were in uniform and they gave clear instructions as we all saw and heard. Right. Can you, I, I know we saw the, both videos twice, but did he attack both officers wearing the, the cameras that we just saw? I believe he did. Okay. Initially, he attacked the first officer when he said, get on the ground, right? right? And then after that, he transitioned to the other officer who deployed the taser. So they were in the fight for their lives. Let me be clear with you. And as a result of this, they did very well. They were very brave, and they fought for their lives. I was very impressed with what they did. They didn't shoot or discharge the farm right away. This was not a case of overreaction. They were in a fight for their lives. Let me make it clear. As an officer with almost 30 years of experience, I was frightened when I saw that to see what's going on out there. And I'm glad they survived. It was dark and they were shining a light in his face. Do you think he could see that they were in uniform? Yes. Um, they have their radio, the uniform. Although it is dark, it's pretty clear. And so were these officers in marked units or subsidized units and where did they park? Marked units and uh, there was, I believe, maybe a subsidized vehicle. They were parked, I guess, outside of the property because there are two entrances and exits, so to speak, the east and west side. Was it reasonable for the officers to give the instruction to get on the ground before determining if he had any weapons? Or what was the reasoning? Yes, ma'am. I would have done the same because it's very dark, as one of you said, right? We don't know if he has weapons in his waistband or in his pockets. And this is a felony case because the officers responded to a burglar in progress with a male in the house and the female was distraught. I would have done the same thing, and I commend them for what they did. Was the woman in the first in the first video that we saw, was that the one who called 911 for the burglary program? I believe so, and as we all saw, she was very frantic, she was out of control, and you could feel her terror. The green um, images that we saw, was that the teaser um, deploying? When, when, when I believe the taser deployed, right? And I think one of the probes struck him, but you can see he was fighting. And I think he might have gotten the wires wrapped up in his hands. I'm not sure. That's part of the investigation. So it didn't have an effect that No, it didn't, obviously. He kept fighting. Deputy Chief, you said you were proud of the officers for that. Why did you say that? I'm proud because they were in a fight for their lives. You saw what happened. They told the suspect to get on the ground. This is a felony case, a burglary in progress, where a male was inside the home. You saw what happened. The female was very frantic. I would have been shivering if I responded to that. And when the, when the suspect approached the officer and attacked them, they were in a fight for their lives. The gun wasn't discharged until the assault was well on the way and the officer lost conscious. That's the first officer at the scene. Was burglary or a home invasion or you have a burglary. Basically, when you get into go into the house, um, that's under investigation. Okay. Are you, are you going to share any details? No, that? that's under investigation. And how, if you don't mind me asking, how are your guys doing? Um, they're recovering, and one of them is in the hospital with some bad injuries, but we're praying for a speedy recovery. The Mieni family lawyer, James Bickerton, draws attention to the fact that the police had failed to announce their intentions to Mieni on that night prior to the shooting. It definitely sounds like he doesn't understand who these people are or why they're coming after him. Nor would a reasonable person understand that. If you've been to the wrong home and had a cordial conversation with the husband and then left, 70 seconds later, why are these people coming at you from the house? 
with guns and flashlights. Dottie was an evil scout. He is not the type of person to disobey a police order. But he was a rugby player. He is the type of person to take on armed attackers who seem intent on doing him harm and who are obviously not the police. Because, of course, if they were police, they would say so. Bickerton explains that the family has filed a civil case against the Honolulu Police Department on two charges, wrongful death and negligence. He says that given all of the recorded material available to them, he and the family are very confident in the case. However, he says that the police department is still hiding key information from the public. We never file a suit unless we believe we have a strong case. We filed suit right away in this case. It's rare historically that you get the whole wrongdoing caught on either audio or video or both. In my 40-year career, that didn't happen very often in the old days. But in recent years, it's happened more and more with the advent of things like security cameras, cell phones, 911 recordings, and now police body cams. You know, in the old days, there would have been probably very unlikely that we would have ever discovered the truth about whether police announced themselves. But now we have a continuous recording because we can hear the 911 call, we hear the police arrive, we can match the 911 call up to the words on the body camera. So we know that the police officers never announced themselves. We know from recordings that they approached him surreptitiously. The object was to surprise him. You can see in the video that the car's lights are off. If you study the video, you'll see that the police cars are blocking both ends of the lane that this house is on, and they have no, not only no blue lights on, but no headlights. Witnesses have confirmed that there were no lights or sirens. So their object was to see if they could catch whoever this, whatever they thought he was, to see if they could catch him by surprise. And they did. And in the process, they didn't tell him who they were. And so that is a fundamental violation of law. If I point a gun at you at night with a flashlight and tell you to lie on the ground, that breaks several laws to do that. Police officers are allowed in some situations to break those laws, but they must say that they are police officers and say why they're asking you to get on the ground. If they don't do that, they're no different than a mugger. Bickerton explains that the process will not be speedy, but that he is working tirelessly to bring justice to the Mieni family. He also describes some of the key pieces of evidence that he plans to rely on in the upcoming case. The process is a long one. To actually get a trial in a civil case takes a minimum of a year and a half. The stage we're in now is called the discovery stage, where we get information from the city. And the city is invoking a non-existent privilege. They're claiming that because the prosecutor is looking at possibly bringing criminal charges against an officer, that somehow that should put a, a stop to any other investigation, any civil discovery or anything else. That's flat out wrong. The Actually, the Hawaii Supreme Court years ago said that that is wrong. The city should know better. But we've made requests for certain key things. And I think what your readers will understand are the following. 
number one, uh, than Donnie Miani's cell phone. The cell phone is an iPhone 11. And in this day and age, that will show the last map search he did, any pin drops that he uh, got for location, any addresses that he entered. And so we will have a clear understanding of where he thought he was going and perhaps what he thought he was doing. They've broken uh, Hawaii's statutory law by actually looking at the phone. We know that they've looked in the phone because on the 19th, five days after Nani's death on the 14th of April, they contacted the last person other than his wife that he had spoken to and said they got the number out of Donnie's phone. In Hawaii, at least, there's a criminal statute that forbids anyone from looking in anyone else's electronic device without consent, and there's no exception for death. So they've broken the law in their investigation, and now they don't want to release the phone to us because they know what's in there. Um, and uh, it would give the lie, we suspect, to their burglary story. So the phone is a critical piece of evidence that we're fighting for. Another key piece of evidence that we've been told that the homeowner had a ring system, you know, the type of home security that records the door. And that would tell us what was said and what happened when Lindani entered the home. The third key piece of evidence is going to be what the police officers were told, although the caller was quite hysterical. We suspect she may have been hysterical because she was making a call, which isn't a really nice thing to do uh, if someone has made a mistake in coming to your house. Whatever the reason for her hysteria, she acknowledged there was no weapon, there was no threat, there was no shouting, there was no violence. And... She acknowledges even during the call that Lindani had left. So if the police are being accurately told what just happened, minus the hysterical part of it, they're just told that it looks like someone came to this home and has left uh, and, you know, wasn't known to the people who were at the home. So, you know, please investigate. If, in fact, the dispatchers told the police, you know, suspected burglary in progress, then that affects what the police officers know and how they approach the scene. But ultimately, that doesn't matter, even if it, even if they suspected a burglary, which they didn't have a reason to. Uh, whatever they were coming up there for, the police officers, though, they have to, if they're going to point guns at people at night with flashlights that make it so you can't see, They've got to tell the person who they are and what they're doing. What the outcome of the case is likely to be, we simply can't say. But what is clear to both Bickerton and to the South African public is this. Can we trust the Honolulu Police Department to investigate itself? Uh, I have to say, you know, in all fairness and with all due respect to the police department, it doesn't strike us as being... Uh, the best plan. Mieni's family and friends are in disbelief. They all claim that while he was a strong and proud man, he wasn't a violent man. Here are some snippets from what his loved ones have to say. From what I've heard, they didn't make him aware that they were police. 
and how do you know if whether it's a a, a robbery or what who, who is confronting you in the dark it's either you run for your life or you fight for your life he's a man he can't just sit like this and wait somebody to 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 kill him or to do whatever you want to do you know it was dark he he couldn't see who was it and where that person was coming from unless they told him that we are police how did you feel when you heard the news yeah yeah that was devastating i couldn't believe it and i was like okay when when the first call me i was like okay because it was early in the morning i was like ah maybe this should be or I'll wake up and say ah, we're just fooling with you and stuff like that so it didn't sink in well until his body arrived here and that was so 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 painful for me just to witness that and it was so emotional even in the in the memorial service when I had to speak about him it's just too intense I even tried to crack some jokes over there and there so that I don't get too too emotional yeah even now I'm starting to get emotional talking about it when I first heard about it I was in shock that that happened firstly shocked and you know I, I was like confused like how it it was not Lindana's personality or you know the way he acts or his behavior for that to happen to him and then secondly when I watched the video the footage um it, it was very disturbing you know to see that and it happened so quickly there's so much left unsaid you know there's so much unsaid on the on the clip that um we still need to see we still need to know and ask why what happened why would Lindani punch why would Lindani fight he was never ever like that he's never been like that this man played rugby on the field he got tackled hard he got pushed in the face hit and so on but never once he would fight back so there's a lot of questions that we we we've, we've been asking ourselves and there's a lot of confusion that we just need clarity on on really what happened there but uh, it's it's a really disappointing ending to Lindani and it doesn't make sense at all meanwhile Lindsay lives in fear for her children Yeah um USA government I've got no support not even a comment nothing nothing from Biden nothing from the mayor Rick in in Honolulu nothing no word from anyone and I've I've tried to contact him and no response um and he knows the police department's in trouble so I'm guessing there's not much for him to say without making them look bad I guess I'm not sure yeah but uh we're still suing the Honolulu police department we're waiting for them to give back his cell phone still we're waiting for them to give back his ukuleles his headband his his clothes and um and uh, I think we will find answers when we find the phone. I think we'll we'll get closer to justice. Um SA government has been very uh helpful as far as helping put on the funeral as well as Richard's big funeral. That's so sweet of them um to do this for free really and 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 the government you know they they gave some great speeches. I appreciate that they did justice to his name and kind of got an understanding of his character. Um I was hesitant for them to just kind of take over the memorial but they they did a good job to give his name justice. Um next steps honestly uh I need the government's help to get me citizenship so I can stay in my children's home country without my husband. You know, people think when you're married it's automatic but 
citizenship to each other's countries, but it takes like five years each side for him to be citizen of mine and me of his. And we always wanted flexibility to be in whichever country that the kids can prosper most. And right now, I feel like this is the safest country for them. Uh, I don't want to raise kids that are considered black in America, where clearly it's not safe. So, Whatever happened to Lindani, his family has a right to know. His children have a right to know why they will never be able to remember a day with their father. And Lindsay has a right to try and clear her husband's name. We won't let him fade into obscurity. For Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national headlines, I have been Paige Muller.